0: All right, so um, I'm going to start. You know we've been talking about Nehemiah here. We've done the series on breakthroughs, and so we've kind of had a few tangents that we've tried to come off of that into some other subjects. I heard last Sunday the guys shared, and I I heard they did a really good job sharing their hearts on on things. Anyone agree with that? They did a good job. I heard it was good. Um, But uh, we also talked about, we're going to look at where do pastors come from. What's the whole... um, You know, and how does that relate to Nehemiah? And if you're wondering that question, it's a good question. (laughs) And does it relate? Well, maybe a little bit. I'll tell you how I think it can relate, and then we'll get on to really, I think, how this subject might help us. But anyways, um, there's a a place here in Nehemiah. We covered up to about Nehemiah chapter 4, and it goes up to chapter 13, I believe. We're not going to probably cover all of that, but I just want to touch on something about Nehemiah's leadership here. Uh, chapter 5 at one point, it just talks about how, we'll just read this this verse here together, it uh, kind of a cap, encapsulates the problem they're facing, but it says, um, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. He goes on to say, I and all my brothers and all my men are... Are also lending to the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. You know they were they had all come back to rebuild the wall, and it was tough times financially and culturally and all of that. But some of the guys that had come back decided to set up shop and charge their brothers and sisters extra money for just trying to be there and survive. And they were they were getting rich on on their brothers, uh, you know, their brothers and sisters there. And so. Um, Nehemiah heard about this, and he said, hey, guys, that's not that's not right. Um, he knew, Exodus twenty two twenty five 25, talked about when you lend to those, uh, like family or things like that, that you aren't supposed to have outrageous interest charges to them. You know, there's usury laws even in the United States today, but they were doing that. Nehemiah said, hey, guys, this is not right, and he stepped in, and he corrected that. He called the large meeting, and he just said, hey, guys, let's, let's all get on the same page here. One of the things I've just been struck by in the book of Nehemiah is that he, he took things like that. A lot of people probably knew that that was wrong. A lot of people probably in their hearts thought, yeah, we probably shouldn't be doing this, but the money's good, you know. But it took someone to come in and say, guys, you, you know this. We can't do this. We've got to stop. And there were a number of issues that Nehemiah just knew from the scriptures, and yet it seemed like people needed some help, some leadership to get where God wanted them to go, and some of them probably already, they wanted to do that too. But Nehemiah was a guy that stepped into that. He was a catalyst to that. Um, Another, you know, guy we haven't talked about much, he was also teamed up with someone you might have heard of named Ezra. Ezra was on the scene at the time, a priest um, um, who knew the law of the Lord at the time, but I love this verse about Ezra. At one point it just talked about, hey, God's gracious hand was on Ezra. And it, it says in that very same verse, why? It says this about Ezra. You know, He made it back to Jerusalem, God protected him, and uh, the trip went fast, and all of that, and it says, because the good hand of his God was upon him, went on to say, for Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so, just a few things just to draw out there. You know, Ezra Ezra just had a heart for God's Word. He set his heart to study it. Sometimes we try to encourage people, are you reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible? Set your heart to study it as a whole other level. And, and I hope you're reading the Bible, but I hope you and I have a heart to not just read. I got my reading done and get on with my day, but your heart is to study and to learn and know how, how can I then put this into practice? Ezra studied it, and he came away with things, well, here's what I need to do now. I read this. God's Word says to do this. Might not agree with my culture, it might not agree with other things, but it seems like this is what God wants me to do, and he practiced it. And then after he practiced it, he was in a great position to teach it. Hey guys, this verse said this, I did this. You might think about this. And and, um, but I just want to share that just to ask you to check your heart. You know, where's your heart at with God's word right now? Ezra's heart was set to study it. And not just to study it to be puffed up full of knowledge, but to put it into practice, to exercise that. And then after he did that, he had a great platform to pass that on to others. And so just some great examples of leadership and God's word affecting life um, from Ezra and from Nehemiah. And so, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna talk about how does this relate to how does this relate to New Testament church here um, and, and that whole subject. And, and so um, where do pastors come from is the question we're gonna talk about. And I know you've all been wondering that most of your life. Where do they come from? I just don't even know. Maybe you're not. I, I understand that. Maybe that question has been planted there before you. But uh, first, before we answer that question, I want to address three three reasons of why why does it even matter? Why am I even here today to talk about where pastors come from? You know, I, I'm not even sure. I really care. Um, that may be where you started, and that's okay. I hope you don't leave that way. Um, a couple things to think about on the subject. Just kind of in principle, I'd like to share the idea that um, uh, this, this concept of Jesus came to earth and Jesus, he, he came and he died on the cross and he left instructions with his disciples. And Jesus could have, at that time when he left, he could have set up any organization that he wanted. He could have left behind a nonprofit. He could have left behind a hospital. He could have left behind a number of really, really good things. But you know what organization he left behind? It was called the church. And it's it's arguable, and I'd say you don't need to argue too much, that is the most important organization on this planet right now is the church. The church that will um, see the other side, etern- eternity. Not just about things. There's many organizations that do good in the here and now, but the church is an organization that has an effect on eternity. The whole, the whole goal behind the church <coughs> is to help bring as many people as possible into an eternity with God as compared to apart from God. And so other argument just to think about here in principle is that many would say, whether it's in business and church and other things, that leadership is the most important thing about an organization. You want an organization to run well, to be efficient, to be effective. Leadership is key. If you want a team to do well, a football team, what, what needs to happen? They need to have leadership in the coaching and on the team. And those are the ones that do well. And the same is true of the church. And I just want to read a quote from a it's a book on New Testament leadership that some of the uh, pastors in our Association of Churches put together. And it's just, uh, I love this, this quote here. It just says this. Um, it says, if the church is the world's most important organization, and if leadership is arguably the most important factor in a church's success, then the most important decision that can be made in the world is who are the church leaders and what should they do? There are, clear church, there are clear church leadership instructions in the Bible, and as we understand and implement these principles, the incredible potential of God's church will be unleashed in the 21st century. So if it is the most important organization, and if leadership is the most important key to that, then who and how they go about it makes a huge difference. That's just the principle side of it. On the practical side of it, one of the things we've talked about this fall is that we've been seeking God for breakthroughs, personal breakthroughs to things in our lives, also breakthroughs in our church. One of those discussions has included the idea of adding another pastor into our mix here. And so we've mentioned a few times coming and going uh, about Drew Mahali, and we've done some examining and some training in his life, and you know, we're figuring out the details and the plan there but this is something that has very practical implications in our church, and I've had some ask, you know, if, if Drew's becoming a pastor, does that mean you're leaving? And the answer to that is no, um, and, and yet there's, you know, there's things we're working through there, but be, as a part of that, I thought it'd be good for people to know, well, where, where do pastors come from in our association <coughs> of churches? They come from a lot of different places and a lot of different organizations. The church I grew up in, they, they had their... Very unique system for how they went about it, which is very different from what then I've been taught and trained in. And so I just thought it'd be good for us to examine this because we have a real practical application of this coming up in, in the near future here. We're figuring out the details again on that. But um, other thing is, um, I think about this in principle, it's good to understand these things about leadership. And in practicals, there's some ramifications, but there's another side of it too that I think is important, and it, it kind of burdens my heart in these uncertain times that we live in, but as things grow colder against Christ and against his church, it's going to affect our lives and our churches and our leadership and uh, our flock. And the Apostle Paul, this was, you know, almost 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul had a real concern about, hey guys, here's some things to watch for in the church. And he says this after giving instructions about pastors he says this, he says, I know after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember for that, that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day with tears. I mean, this was back in the first century and the Apostle Paul's going, guys, you gotta watch out. People are gonna wanna be in your church And they're going to want to steal disciples away after them, and they're going to twist the truth. And I I don't even know what that must have been like. Paul warning you with tears day and night. Seems like he was pretty serious about it, and thought it was a pretty big deal. We're living now, what, 20 centuries later, and I go, guys, there's things going on in our day and age that if Paul thought things were rough then or Christ's return was close then, how much more... It, is this relevant to us today? And so there's talks, you know, if if you know the government ever turned against the Christian church or things that happen, you know, one of the things that happens in other countries right now um, is that, you know, Christians are being persecuted and they are being killed. And a lot of times what they'll do, the, the way, the mode of operation is you come in, you find out who the leaders are, like, who's the leaders here? You're coming with us. And, and they hope that that will help snuff out any of the Actions and the things that a congregation would do to try to carry out what God wants in this world, in the Bible. And, um, and so I think that that happens. History has told us that's the way it goes. When there's opposition and persecution, the first thing they do is take the leaders out. Well, so then what happens? Well, then someone has to step Either the whole flocks of all these churches scatter or, or people start stepping up. Scriptures are real clear. There's going to be people that will put themselves forward hey, guys, I got a really charismatic personality. I I can lead us. Or, hey, guys, I know a lot about the Bible. I've listened to a lot of teachings or whatever, and I can lead us. But all of a sudden, there's people who have ulterior motives. There's dangers of where they would take a congregation or what they might do in in what is supposed to be a trusted relationship with their leaders. And so I don't know what lies ahead, guys, but this kind of burdens my heart sometimes because I know if there's trouble... I'm probably not going to be here with you. They'll probably find Dennis. They'll probably find anyone who's a leader or been a leader. And, and so they would hope that the flock would be scattered because Jesus said that's what happens. If, if you strike the shepherd, the, the sheep will be scattered. And so there's, there's principles here we're going to talk about. And, and there's practicals related to our church and, and adding a pastor. But I also think there's, there's preparation, guys. And uh, I, I don't even like to bring it up but I just want to be real, and, and I, I want to acknowledge things that are going on in our world, and I hope you take these words very seriously, so that if they did extract pastors from this little flock, that you all would go, hey, I remember those verses. Let's go back there and see what they say. Oh yeah, watch out for someone just like that. Hey, hey look for someone like this, and um, and that's what we're really going to talk about here, so I hope you catch my heart on this. Um, it's really important. Um, as we look at a couple verses on this, we're going to, um, I'm just going to share there's different errors we're going to have to avoid, okay, because a lot of people, there's a lot of different church structures out there, and there's a lot of people that would do it differently than us, and I'm not going to say, wow, they're, they're wrong and we're right. What I really want to share is, guys, this is what I understand from the scriptures. This is what our association of churches understand together. This is how we recognize and appoint pastors, and, and others may do it differently. This is how we do it and why. But most everyone has a a why they do what they do, right? I mean, I don't think anyone's going like, hey, you know, I just, I was reading a magazine the other day and I think we ought to do this for church. You know, it was an article in National Geographic and I think it applies to us. You know, most people have a Bible verse backing things that they do, whether that's for good or not. Um, But I think we do have to watch out for things that are non-biblical. Things that, uh, and I mean non-biblical, maybe it doesn't come from the Bible at all. And it's like, hey, this is the central thing of our church. And it's not in the Bible, but it's really, it's, it's what we hang everything off of. Something else that can happen is sometimes there's traditions that get passed on. You know, we've been doing this tradition for hundreds of years. Again, it's not in the Bible, but this is what we do because it's really important to our tradition. Um, There's personal preferences. People would do things because they prefer, don't prefer. There's cultural pressures. Hey, we do this as a church because the culture would look down on us if we did it differently. I think about governments that require a state church to have certain things. In China, you can be a church as long as you're, uh, you know, a certain type of church and agree to the doctrine that the government has given you. Sure, you can be a church. There's cultural pressures that people say, you know, I'd rather just give into this than to try to do it biblically and, and come what may. And so um, we have to watch out for things that are not biblical. A couple examples. One that I think of here is um, this verse where Jesus is teaching. He's teaching about um, the church. He's teaching about how the Pharisees of the time were just so prone to, to get attention. They, they wanted attention. They wanted praise. They wanted... Um, and so Jesus said this at one point. He said, but you are not to be called Rabbi for you have one master, and you are all brothers. Goes on to say, and don't call anyone on earth father, because you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. And he goes on to say, and so one of the things that stood out to me is this idea, he was basically speaking, hey guys, you don't need to give anyone a title. One, you don't need to seek a title on your own, and two, we're not supposed to be giving those titles. And I was brought up in a church where, um, you know, the, the priests who came in. I remember a couple of my priests along the way. This was in the, uh, I'll talk to you, it's a very traditional type of church. But um, our guy was called a, a father. One of the first fathers I remember was Father Bird. Interesting name, Father Bird. Um, but we called them fathers. And, and I didn't think anything of it. That's just what you call them. They're priests, they're fathers. At one point, we had a female. And I don't remember what we called her. Father Marion, I, I don't remember exactly what we called her. But, um, but we were a part of a system that had a very clear hierarchy that you called the Father. And I, and I became a Christian later in life. And I, I'm reading this, I'm going, how does that work? Jesus, you said, don't call them these titles. And so as I became a pastor, what I found is that sometimes people want to put a title on me. Pastor Rich, what do you think? And in some cultures, it's very fitting. In the South, in the Bible Belt... Um, you know that's very fitting I, I think of uh, talking to Rob and he said he was from the buckle of the Bible Belt out there in Oklahoma but um, you know it's cultural to call someone hey Pastor Rich and yes yes Pastor Rich you got the right guy what, what do you what do you need here? you know um, there's a way that it just speaks right into your ego you know what other professions do they have out there that are like oh let's see here you're know, not calling them engineer engineer uh, women out there we're not calling them you know, no one else is called by their occupation, except for maybe a doctor, and that's fine. Maybe maybe teachers. But Jesus is talking about the church and spiritual leadership. And so sometimes people have called me Pastor Rich, and I just like to say, Hey, guys, what I understand here is Jesus said, we're all brothers and sisters. Call me brother. Call me rich. Um, tell my wife, just don't call me late for dinner, right? Um, <laughs> just No, but uh, some, sometimes... Uh, I just, I love to give you permission to call me Rich, if you would. Call me brother if you want, because I'm going to call you sister, or I'll call you by your name. But that's how I understand it. There was a time back in our church in Fort Collins, where I first became a pastor, we're with the college group, and some of the guys started calling me Rev. And it was from a movie, anyone know, remember the Titans, I think? They had a guy in there they called Rev, and so they started calling me Rev, and you know I kind of like the title, uh, Rev, that sounds pretty spiritual and cool. Um, but I remember other times where I did a debate with a philosophy professor on campus at CSU, and he called me Reverend Thatcher. And uh, you know, and and I think there's people, you know, and then other systems, are, there's reverend, there's righteous reverend, there's holy righteous reverend, and, and they have these titles, and I'm just going, no, no, no. I started just on my own, and between me and the Lord as I prayed, I go, you know, someone, if I'm known as, as Rev, I want it to be known not as Reverend Rich, but, one is reverent, reverent rich. I'm reverent, I have a fear of God and God's words. And I don't want a title, please don't use them on me and or I'll call you something too, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, there's whole systems that, that, this is just one example. There's whole systems that have set things in place that seem to be not biblical, not what Jesus said we should do. And this is just one example of that. So we gotta watch for things that aren't biblical or are against what the Bible says for various reasons another way that people go about errors in this, as I understand it, and these these errors are true not only with church leadership, they're true with understanding the Bible in general. If, if you're doing something that is against what it says in the Bible, beware of that. There's a lot of warnings of doing things that are against what God says to do, and um, this this would be going the opposite way, adding things to, sure, I love the Bible, and we need to add some other people into the equation here to let's speak as authoritatively as the Bible, and so I think we have to watch out for extra-biblical things or trans-biblical. I don't know what the official word is for this, but you get the idea. It's something that goes beyond what is said in the Bible and was not included in the Bible. And so, um, again, there's a a number of examples on this. And, you know, my my goal is not to um, tell you this is put down anybody, but I want to show you examples of what I'm talking about here. Um, There is you know there's some that would say the Pope is infallible you know we've heard the Word of God is infallible it's without mistake um, but some would say hey this this person is others would say my sisters are part of a different set of churches not tied into that world but they would say that if a church father says something what they say is in line with the Bible and it was not included in the Bible but if they say it you've got what the Bible says you have got what they say and and that's what you operate on but Mormons would say, hey, the Bible, we love the Bible. By the way, you need to add this whole other book in. Um, And and so there would be a lot of things we'd have in common with them and values. But then there's this whole other world that we go, well, uh, that's not in the Bible. Actually, that would contradict what's in the Bible. So you know, something has to give there. So there's a lot of different examples of this. Um, A couple verses, I think, just related to this subject is this one. The Apostle Paul is writing to this little church in the city of Thessalonica. And and he said this about when he shared God's word with them. He said, "We thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, it brought this message about God and God's Son and His death on the cross." And he said, "You received it, uh, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe." And we have to decide: is um, is God's word the word of God, or is this the word of men? Because if it's the word of men, You can take other men and just add their things to it, add Joseph Smith, add, um, you know, church fathers, fathers of the desert, whatever it is you want to add, if it's just the word of men, might as well don't leave out anybody who you could quote in that, but if it's the word of God, and this is what God intended to communicate, then then we can't add to it, we can't say, oh yeah, they forgot this book. And one of the strongest warnings about this that, that I know of, and you probably know of this too, is... At the very end of the Bible, one of the very last set of verses or sentences in there says this as the Apostle John is writing and he's recording this book of Revelation, the, the book ends to the Word of God as we know it here. But he says this I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds anything to him, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from uh, this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life, and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And there's a very clear, like, guys, you want to you go beyond, you think, that you think that God missed something back in, um, you know, and, and he needed to deliver a new message to Joseph Smith, or he needed to do, something was left out. There's a very clear warning here. I, I don't know how you get around it to say, yeah, it's okay if you add this. I would fear doing that. I would encourage you to fear doing that. If it's not in the Bible... Um, and it goes to something else that, oh, yeah, I like the Bible. And we all have to be careful of that in church leadership and life in general. And the other, another area we can want to watch out for it's non-biblical or if it's extra-biblical. Or the other one is if it's semi-biblical. Hey, it's, there's a verse in the Bible. This is pseudi, pseudo-biblical teaching. It's, yeah, this is what happens sometimes, though, is you can take something from the Bible you could take it out of context. You could take it, and maybe there's other verses that speak to the same subject. But someone, sometimes people that start their own uh, churches or cults or things, they, they take one obscure verse, pull it out of context, and they frame everything off of that. And we have got to watch out for things that are semi-biblical or um, taking a verse out of context. I love this quote from Howard Hendricks. Some of you know he, he passed away here not too long ago, but uh, he was a a professor at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary there. But he said this. He said the Bible is an organism, and when you cut a verse out of it, it bleeds. You lose the essence of what the text is saying. And people like to just go, "I like this verse. Let's cut it out, and I'm going to form everything off of this verse." Well, it, it can't work that way. It's designed to be a part of the whole uh, Word of God. It's designed to be a part of God's character, and, and this is just one facet of it. So sometimes if people just take one thing out of context, and a great example of that, you might recognize this verse. This verse is in gospel of matthew here it's also quoted from the old testament and the psalms but it says uh, for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone you know who's speaking that sentence that verse yeah, satan. satan satan is arguing with jesus and he, he pulls from the scriptures that i can use the verses too and he pulls a verse out and he says jesus throw yourself down off this thing because and he quotes the scripture it's biblical. Even the devil can use the Bible. But what do we know? He pulled it out of context. He was trying to put Jesus into a situation where he would glorify himself uh, and test God. And um, But we just have to be careful, guys. Most people, especially when it gets more and more chaotic, the scriptures are clear. They're going to be using the Bible, obviously. The question is, how much damage are they going to do to it when they cut out one part and try to implement it there? We've got to watch for that, guys. And so on. Um, uh, again this is uh, it 's a serious deal for for church leadership and really for life in general here but um, so here 's a question uh, what is uh, what is a pastor? How many of you have ever heard of an elder before a church that has elders um, How many of you have ever heard of a bishop before how many of you 've ever heard of a pastor before well which is which what, what, are, what are we supposed to be doing here? These are all three in the New Testament, so we 're supposed to have one of these or the other one of these. Um, and I'm going to make the case here, just just uh, the part of this message right here is just going to be, what if that all three of these are really three roles, three responsibilities that go back to the same person, the same office, the office of being a pastor. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about which word you use to describe that officially, but what if they are that? And, and in some ways it's, um, I think of this, I going to take you, you men here, for example, pick on you a little bit. Um, this could be a little infomercial here, but as men, we wear a lot of different hats, you know? We do things, we, we are, uh, in some cases, you might get the label of breadwinner. Other cases, you might get the, the label of uh, the discipline, or, or, you know, rule keeper, the discipliner, you know? Wait till your father gets home, you know? Um, other cases, you know, you might have the Old Testament title of repairer of broken things, you know? That might be like, who do they come to, kids come to when something's broke? Well fathers in many cases, um, uh, you know, Dad, I, I just I broke my drone. Can you fix my drone? You know, I was like, no, I have no idea how to fix your drone. <laughs> oh, come on, Dad. It's a You know, um, but I think we have different roles that, that we can take on as men, and what I've found, what usually happens to me naturally is my first response is probably not the right response to the role at the time, right? Have you ever done that, like a really hard conversations, maybe one of these, Cute little teenage creatures leaves the situation with tears, and and someone's like, well, "You gotta go talk to her." No, I don't want to go talk to her. That seems scary. Let's, maybe it'll fix itself. You know, just leave that alone. Um, or or maybe it's uh, my wife bringing you know something something hard emotionally she's gone through, and honey, I can fix that for you. First off, you, you got to get rid of that feeling. That's just that's just not going to help anything here. Let's fix this, and and. Anyone ever done that before, huh? Well, you know, there's, there's times that we try to fix things when we shouldn't, and then there's other times where we don't fix the things that we should, right? How many of you have a honey-do list? It's a list of things that need to be fixed, That uh, and sometimes we, we get those out of order. Wives, can I get an amen for... Yes. <laughs> Well, uh, anyways, it is a little infomercial for this Wednesday night, guys, when we meet at Drew's house. We're going to come together, and we're going to try to help each other uh, understand these roles of what it means to be a husband who lays your life down like Christ did for the church, what it means to be a dad who uh, will give account one day for the training and discipline of the Lord that's going on in the family, and and we're going to just try to come together to encourage each other a little bit with that. So that's a pitch for that, guys, but we'll keep moving here on on the real topic. Anyways, um, we're going to talk about these different roles here. These are all in the Bible: elder, bishop, pastor. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Any architects out there? Landscape? Some of you construction guys? What is it? Uh, function precedes form. If you're designing something, a lot of times the, you have to know what it's going to do, and then you can figure out what it's got to look like, what it can look like. But it's got to do something. So if it doesn't do that, you can't have it look certain ways. Well, you know, the same is true in structures, leadership structures. Whatever the function is you're focusing on and you're emphasizing, the rest of the things are going to flow from that. Some, some problems that that creates in the church is some cases there's an emphasis on the elder. And you have the elder board. And uh, we had elders and we had a deacon board. My dad was a deacon back in the days there. But sometimes an elder board, if you put this, the emphasis on that, it it's kind of becomes this political power wielding nightmare of a leadership situation. Any of you ever heard of those? Seen those? Yes, there's a, but there's some things that are by design they are set up like that. Now another thing that you can have is a hierarchy of bishops. You go, yeah, bishops in the New Testament, let's focus on that. And they have this whole hierarchy, uh, pecking order of bishops. And you know, there's the one at the top, I went to a, a wedding this summer with my wife, and we were a part of a, a thing that had this hierarchy of bishops. So one of the bishops running the wedding, in order to greet the bride and the groom as a part of the service at the church, you had to he held out his hand, and he had a ring on his hand. And to walk through the line, you had to kiss his hand. And we decided we didn't want to kiss the hand of the bishop who was there. We were just like, that seems a little. We'll, we'll greet them afterwards. I know where they live, you know. We're, um, but there's church systems that are set up like the other cases. There's the there's the CEO pastor. You know, you want to run a church. It's a lean mean machine. It's it's making profits. It's got its margins in the right place and. It's the pastor that's the CEO. And maybe he's good at that. But if you get in his way, you know, it's my way or the highway. Hey, you don't agree with this? You're fired. You're fired. You know, um, that's a whole other uh, conversation. But um, anyways, these are things, these are problems that can flow from the the function that someone emphasizes. And I'm going to suggest to you that God wants each one of these functions carried out in the same way leader, in the same person, in the same office of that leadership role. And so we're just going to look at those real quick here. How are we doing time-wise? All right. We still got an hour left. Okay. (laughs) Just joking. We'll we'll keep moving here. So uh, one of the words we're going to look at first, we're going to look at those three words. Uh, One is elder. Elder comes from this Greek word here, presbuteros. Um, It has the idea of being older. It has uh, the idea of the Old Testament version of an elder was they were the older ones. They had the age in the families and in the tribes, and they carried leadership roles because of that. Um, that's an idea, this Greek word here carries that idea of age, but um, here's some examples of this used in the New Testament here. This one, Paul and Barnabas anointed, anointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. This one in Titus says, for that reason I left you in Crete, um, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you and so they did recognize they appointed elders and that idea really the heart the big idea behind that word is an idea of spiritual maturity these guys you know he's writing to Timothy at one point he's writing to Titus here but Timothy was a young person he was not that old he wasn't an elder in the Old Testament Jewish sense he wasn't a, an older person in general but he had a spiritual maturity about him. And that is can be independent of age. That can come with age, or or it can be a young person can exercise what they know from God's word, they can obey, uh, obey what they know, and there's a maturity in that. And as you grow, you, you know more and you obey more. But if you know a ton and you obey little, that's someone who's spiritually immature. The Apostle Paul wrote a whole letter to the Corinthians who, many of them, many different ages, he said, you guys are like infants in Christ. Well, they knew a whole lot, but they were like infants. So this idea of elder really speaks to spiritual maturity. And that's something that we want to take hold of. And another thing here, overseer comes from the Greek word, the Greek word episcopos. Episcopos. Anyone recognize a church name that might relate to that? Anyone? Episcopal. I, I was brought up in an Episcopal church. Why was it called Episcopal church? because they really focus on episcopals, on the bishops, and there's a bishop for this, and there's a bishop that came in for this, and a bishop that came in for this, and there was a serious hierarchy of bishops, and, and well, that's because, I mean, they named the whole thing after that would make sense. The other one that, the, the one we just came from, did you see um, Presbyteros, what, what does that sound similar to? Presbyterian, they focus on the elders, and, and that's where they... Their name flows from that. And so these are just things to to think about. Uh, Here's a couple verses. One of my favorite verses on this subject is the Apostle Paul writing to this young Timothy. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Hey guys, if you really want to, uh, other translation says anyone who aspires to this. If you desire, if you aspire to this, it's a noble task you're aspiring to. Uses the word overseer comes from this word episcopos. Titus has the same thing. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. And he lists a few facets of, you know, it's like he he must be perfect because then I could have never been a pastor. But blameless is the idea there's certain character areas that there's character that's built in and and, uh, the exception is when it doesn't happen. The default is that this does happen. And when, when it doesn't happen like it's supposed to then, you seek forgiveness, and you acknowledge sin and things like that, but he says um, an overseer is entrusted with God's Word. He's to be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. If you're looking for someone, whether they're charismatic, whether they're, they're educated well, if you see some of these things in their life, they cannot be a person who is qualified to lead God's people in a church. We have to watch for that. Um, the idea, the big picture of this is a, uh, the bishop, the overseer. It speaks to the idea of responsibility, of management, of managing God's flock, uh, overseeing. That's, that's the heart behind it, and that is in the New Testament, and it's a good thing. last one we're going to look at here is it's the word shepherd. It comes from the word poy, poyman here. Um, and a couple examples of this, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, uses that word there, and teachers. Another place, First Peter, it also, be shepherds, from that same Greek word there, of God's flock that is under your care. And so, again, the heart behind a shepherd is, is the idea of, of feeding, of caring, of, of protecting a flock. And that's that's the big idea behind that that word, and that's why it's used. So which word is it, guys? What are we supposed to have? Uh, you know, raise your hand if you want to be a shepherd, okay? Raise your hand if you want to be, be a bishop. Who wants to be the right reverend, holy bishop? Raise your hand there, uh... No, we got it. How, how do you do it? And, and again, I come back to what if it's what if it's all three, guys. One of the things that's really encouraging for me when you look to scriptures here is a passage like this. Again, the apostle Paul is speaking to some guys. He's going to be leaving, and he says, "Hey, I'm going to get all the all the leaders from the church from Ephesus together here. I'm going to speak to them before I go." And so it says this: From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Well, they got to be elders, right? Well, no. Wait, there's more. He goes on. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Guys, what is this implying? To be shepherds, to be overseers, to be elders. He's speaking to the same group of people. And he's calling them. You need spiritual maturity here. You're going to be one who's got management and oversight responsibilities, and you're going to have shepherding responsibilities seems to be like it's all talking about the same person here the same office of of, of this role we're talking about um another verse the same idea here first peter five peter's speaking and and he's talking to the elders among you i appeal as a fellow elder elder there's that word again elder presbyteros um a witness of christ's sufferings and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed be shepherds well there's that other word again that other greek word for shepherd or for pastor um of the flock of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. And so that idea again is that seems like God is speaking to the same group who's elders, but they're also shepherds, but they're also overseers. And in our understanding of the scriptures and our association of churches is that role is it's it's by one one office, one person, but they have those three different unique responsibilities to carry out and they do that together with others and and really we're gonna just close right there and let you chew on this again we're probably all coming from very different backgrounds here I'm coming from a very different background than my wife and, and someone else here but I encourage you go look at the scriptures and see if not all three of these are speaking to that same thing and then we're gonna just close right here and next week we're going to look at some distinct okay well So that's what you're talking about. Now where do they come from? How do you develop those? What's the the game plan here? Because even in that, people have different approaches to how you find someone like that. And so next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at three distinctives. And so I'm going to close in prayer here and um, hope that you'll join us to to continue this, this talk next week as well.